Welcome to The Pestle, reviewing and breaking down movies to look for insights into the movie-making process. Hosted by alligators and crocodiles, they lead such exciting lives, always off to somewhere. Let's dim the lights and start the show. Welcome everybody to The Pestle. Today's show is brought to you by Copy and Donuts. Making dupes got you craving a snack? Come eat those feelings at Copy and Donuts. <laughs> Welcome everybody to the Pestle. I am Wes. And I am Todd. And we are filmmakers. I have been a full-time film- filmmaker for a little over a decade now, which is crazy. If you didn't feel old enough already. And Todd uh, was a full-time producer. Now he's transitioning into a new phase of life on the uh, creative services side of things and so congrats on your recent promotion my friend thank you sir appreciate that and so we'll see if he can parlay any of that new fangled knowledge into what we do here but that's the general idea is we take what we do as filmmakers and you know all the experience we've we've gained along the way of creating all kinds of things right from normal dry corporate videos all the way through creative short films music videos tons of things um one of the interesting parts about what we do is also kind of being aware of the the wider industry and what's going on around us you know whether it's disney plus kind of launching to uh, mixed fanfare or netflix kind of changing the way everything uh is handled i've been really interested just to watch netflix i read uh the the book that reed hastings put out with i always forget the uh the the author's name but it was a really interesting insight into how netflix operates excellent book um and then of course you know what two weeks ago netflix released their recent earnings and uh, they had an earnings call and just dipped like what 40 30 40 percent uh of their maybe more at this point right yeah and they just took a big big hit and i've long had you know for the last four or five years I felt, you know, very strongly about the direction of Netflix and seeing subscriber drop and they blamed like 200,000 of the 500,000 roughly subscribers that they lost on uh, Russia, right? Whether I, whether it was sanctions or maybe they put the kibosh on just what they're doing in Russia as an act against, you know, what they're doing in Ukraine, what Russia is doing in Ukraine, not Netflix. <laughs> Netflix, to my knowledge, is not doing anything in <laughs> Ukraine. <doing> <laughs> <laughs> they've decided to stop dropping dvds on on the ukraine um, <laughs> on the on the port yeah. yeah uh but i think from what i understand maybe they they you know try to do what the world at large has done in terms of trying to support what ukraine is going through and uh, maybe that led to some subscriber drops out of uh, russia i don't know but one way or another you know they took a massive hit once it looked like they were no longer the perpetual growth machine uh, that's kind of been their story is their growth stock and growth stocks have to grow in order for you to keep investing. And now that they're kind of in turnaround, right They're I'm assuming they're scrambling. All ideas are, you know, being listened to as all their employees are probably freaked out because if your strike price is at $200 and now the, the stock price is at 190 or well, you're, you're losing 10 bucks a share if you try to sell or whatever. I don't know what their actual strike prices are or anything like that. And if you don't know, strike price is what an employee is able to exercise their stock option at. And so if you get in on the ground early, right, you can get a really low strike price that, oh, you have, you know, a million shares at a dollar a piece. 
well, you can buy a million dollars worth of stock now and then sell it immediately for 200 million if it's selling at $200. And so there's just that exponential ability to make money. And so I can only imagine how some of the employees are feeling if, you know, they're not able to get the the kind of promise of working at Netflix fulfilled. That promise being a lot of stock options for great work. Um, and I'm sure they're compensated really well. But all of that got me to thinking, man, of what I would do if I were to sit across from whatever Reed Hastings or Ted Sarandos or whoever's running things over there right now. And I came up, I just, you and I and uh, our buddy Scott were on a thread and I threw out some of my quick ideas. And then I just kept thinking about it and I was like, man, I'm just going to write out, you know, for the next 30 minutes, all the things I think Netflix should do to turn around their ship. And so here's my Netflix growth plan oh, I'm excited. <laughs> that I wrote out. Uh, first thing is you got to recognize what I think the problem is. And I think their main big problem is that they are perceived to be of low quality. And whenever you think, do I want to pay 20 bucks a month or whatever their current cost is for low quality, that becomes a much harder sell whenever you have all these other high perceived quality streamers coming up, right? Disney Plus, even though they're not putting out 50 new shows a week, you know, they're going to put out three or four shows that are in line with higher perceived quality, right? Star Wars and Marvel. They're going to put out these two platforms. That's basically all Disney has. I mean, they have a great back catalog, but I don't know how often you say, hey, man, I'm really in the mood for the aristocrats or whatever. <laughs> <laughs> like, it's it's all about the new stuff. <laughs> and so they have a great back catalog of Star Wars and Marvel stuff. And now you can just build on to that. Like, hey, let's put out two or three new shows a year. And I'm sure they're still ramping up, but that's what it kind of feels like. They put out, you know, two or three shows in those universes. And so it becomes much easier to say, hey, I can pay 10 bucks a month for Disney because they have a century in the bank of perceptual quality as opposed to Netflix. And what does Netflix have? I don't know. I don't remember. And so that's the first thing um, I think of as their problem. And a way to fix that, I believe, is through three three prongs of the trident. Three prong attack. Yeah. Got it. Uh, the first is... Utilize box office. Right now, they skip box office almost entirely. I think the only box office they play with is to get into the awards, right? Like in order to, to qualify for the Academy's Golden Globes, you have this kind of minimum criteria. And so they, they play that game at the most basic bitch level. Like they need to get into the real level, which is, hey, we're going to make these tentpole films that are now Netflix films. And that does a lot for you because it builds the perceived quality of your intellectual property through the theatric experience. Now, you know, it feels bigger than it otherwise would have. And by doing that, you're now raising the perceived value of your properties to something that's like, oh, when is it hitting Netflix, right? And now Netflix becomes another priority uh, in people's, you know, day-to-day -day lives. But what you can also do with that is recoup your production investment right now there's no way for them to add new money into their pipeline and so now you have a new way to say okay it doesn't matter if we spent you know 300 million on scorsese's thing right we're going to get a lot of that back through the theatric experience and 
one of the other things that, you know, makes this a no brainer to me is one of the hard things about delivering a movie experience is getting audience into those seats. But Netflix already has a built in free advertising platform through their streaming service. Because now you have, you know, an email list that you can send out to your subscribers and they do that periodically. I love that they don't abuse the email system or else I would unsubscribe. But if you do it periodically, like maybe once a month, every two months, you can put the bug in people's ear like, hey, we have a new movie coming out. Um, then you can also something that I'm really surprised and largely appreciate, but something that they could be doing that other people are and they're not are pre-rolls. Like during a show, HBO, Apple TV Plus, like they all had these little skippable pre-show, pre-rolls that advertise their other shows that are coming out. And usually they leave it at that. Netflix could easily do the same thing for their movies. And of course, you can also, when the app launches, you could have promos on your main screen, etc. But the one thing that they have so much better than any of these other platforms when it comes to this is the amount of targeting data that they have is so much, you know, vast, more vast than, than I think these other programs and platforms probably have because of their worldwide, you know, imprint is much bigger than I think HBO or Apple TV are. Uh, and so if you wanted to whatever, put out a new Bollywood hit, you have a ton of information on your Indian de- demographics, same thing probably in China uh, and Africa. And of course, in the United States and uh, the Western world, uh, you have so much targeting data that if you wanted to promote your new movie coming out, then it becomes easier. And the other thing that I think is a no brainer, convert some of your franchise series into franchise films do the star trek thing star trek started out not as a a movie series right it started out as an incredible thoughtful sci-fi show well you know maybe we can't keep funding you know 10 20 episode seasons but why not just film for three months and make a really great movie and now we can do all those things we're talking about recoup your production investment in ways that you could never do with your tv shows and so i think you know you could have a Stranger Things movie, which I I know Stranger Things is coming up on its final season. I would absolutely bet in five to seven years they revisit that universe because Netflix is going to slump and they're going to need a, a quick hit. Well, why not get everybody back for two months, six weeks, two months, and make a movie, put it out, and now you can make you know 150, 200 million on you know a much smaller investment uh, and probably help tie up or revisit storylines that may not get you know completely closed and whatever happens in this final season that just seen and there's you know several other shows you could do that with the oa or whatever like there's a lot of other sense eight fans would love a sense eight yeah i'm not done with the oa by the way that's coming back here yeah. in a minute okay okay so box office number one number two and this is the thing that i think is really hurting them is put the user experience first. They stopped doing that. They stopped doing that four to five years ago and they slowly pulled away your ability to navigate and create your own custom experience within the Netflix universe, right? They need to bring back the algorithm that they they threw away. That was such a great user experience for me to be able to say, and I spent hours of my time when they first started talking about the algorithm, rating films and trying to trigger the algorithm to to give me things that I knew I would want. So I might overweight or underweight the rating of a movie just because 
I can be a bit of a purist in my ratings, but in order to generate a good algorithm, like, okay, maybe the fountain for me is a four-star movie. I'm going to get five stars though, because I want the algorithm to send me more stuff like Aronofsky's The Fountain. And they did a great job. Like whenever something said it was over 90%, you know, four or five years ago when they were still using this, I knew I was going to find something that I enjoyed. Like they had an incredible algorithm and what it did was it made the whole user experience sticky. And right now the user experience is not sticky. I can go one or two weeks without opening Netflix now, which is crazy. Back in the day, that was never the case. It's not just because I have more options now. Uh, it's because I just don't know if I'm going to find anything I want to watch. And the algorithm plays such a significant role in doing that. Um, the reason I think they took it away is because it was dinging their original content as they started ramping up the original work. They didn't want to take people away from their original work. Instead, uh, they said, what if we go into this more simplistic thumbs up, thumbs down thing that I never use um, because I just, it, there's more nuance than that, right? Yeah. And so- I have a question. I have a question. Please. Do they care if you even open the app if you're still paying per month? Yes. I think- Okay. And, that, and right. I think that's what they're realizing now is- Okay. Crap. Maybe they didn't. Maybe it was kind of a, the Globo Gym membership thing where it's like- it doesn't matter if they come or not, as long as they're paying per per month still kind of thing. Exactly. I I suspect that wasn't ever their their hope, though, um, because they they know it's a lot easier to cancel their membership than, you know, the the court ordered mandate that you got to get to cancel your, <laughs> your your gym membership from some of these places. Like, it's just absurd. And so I'm sure that's always been a concern, but they necessarily didn't mind. But I would assume they would find ways to try to trigger interactivity if they saw a user kind of lowering their interaction. But I think putting the user experience first is the best way to kind of counteract this lack of stickiness that they have on their site now. And one of those other things I think they should do is reopen the API. They used to have all these dev hooks that allowed for third-party extensions that could add on to your experience. And maybe you might go to another site and it said, hey, we can recommend some really cool indie films based on your whatever. Um, or we can surface, here's what's coming up and or here's what's about to expire. There's a lot of interesting things that people could design based around you, Todd, and what you're watching and not watching um, because the, the API allowed app developers to create interesting experiences. And so I think allowing that allows for more conversation around it. But I also think in general, there should be more user control and engagement. For one, stop shuffling my list around. Like if I add things into my list, I used to try to order things in a way that even if I had 200 items in my list, I could navigate within my list to find here's where all my TV shows, here's where all my short dramas are. And it just was a quick way for me to say, oh man, I need something 90 minutes. 90 minutes or less, and I could easily navigate to that section of my list, or I could just really use some interesting fantasy stuff, and I would just navigate to that section of my list for all my fantasy. And now there's just no real way to do that because they're going to shuffle it based on them trying to create engagement for you to say, hey, you haven't watched, you know, Narcos in a while. Hey, how about, you know, that? And it's like, I just added like three things to my list and now I can't find them. Uh, they should be at the front of my list where I left them, um, you jerks. And so, you know, they do just such a poor job of that. I think they should also return 
reviews and their forums. It made going to their website a lot more interesting to see what other people are saying about this show and that or this movie and that. Um, and it allowed you to uh, engage with the community. There is no longer a community for Netflix. Uh, that was a really terrible idea. Um, and I think it goes back to them trying to protect their their original programming. And, and aligned with all of this, you have to bring back star ratings. And allowing that, man, that was the, the most fun thing for me. It was someone hits me up and says, hey, can what do you recommend? You know, what's streaming on Netflix that I, that I should watch or what movies that should I watch? I would go into my Netflix on the website, go into there, sort by star ratings. And now I could look at by all my five-star stuff. And with Todd in mind, I could say, here's the movies that I know Todd would like that are going to be really cool. Uh, you can't do that anymore. You know, it's just a really bad. I could do the same thing with my watch again. Like they used to make your watch again list mm -hmm. explorable. And it was only based on things that you loved. Now it's just based on things that you've seen or maybe started once. Like it, it's really not tethered to anything that creates a better viewer experience. Uh, if you put Goodwill Hunting in my watch again list, yeah, I might hit play. But if you put whatever, you know, some random Netflix movie that was mediocre, I'm going to see it. But now I just don't want to go down that list anymore because I know it's not going to pr produce anything worth my while. Um, it just the, their entire platform right now is kind of mindless scrolling instead of helping surface a good user experience. And that's why you're losing subscribers and that's why you're losing engagement. Um, another thing that you could do is let users build playlists. It would be so cool for me to make whatever a movie playlist within Netflix that says, here's whatever Scorsese's top 200 films uh, that everyone, every filmmaker must watch. Or for me to be able to make a playlist that says, here's all the, the best Christmas themed TV show episodes, right? And now you can go through and watch whatever family ties, you know, Christmas episode juxtaposed next to Fresh Prince, you know, uh, Christmas episode or whatever. Like you can do all kinds of interesting, fun things around playlisting that they do they don't do right now. And then of course you could have celebrities or filmmakers or someone else kind of guest host. And now they can create their own playlist. Like, Hey, here's all my favorite, whatever inspirational filmmaker things, infinite tons of possibilities around playlisting, but all, all of that comes into creating a good user experience and putting that above uh, what you think could end up hurting you in the short term, because those things are going to be what keeps people around and pays for itself in the long term. You have to now start, stop thinking about, you know, the next quarter or the next year, year over year stuff. And you got to start thinking about, you know, five years over five years um, and long-term growth. The last thing, the last prong, quality content. Um, they need to reduce their bloated content production uh, schedule uh, in favor of higher quality, right? Right now, they probably have virtually no quality control. It's more, and I, I do appreciate this about their model, which is they empower their employees to make those decisions. Uh, they say, don't ask us, just write the check. If you're wrong, we'll, we'll let you know. But, you know, we want to empower our employees to make decisions that they think is best. Even if we disagree, we're going to give people a chance. That's paid off to an extent. Now it's time to probably curb that in. If you have two, three billion dollars worth of, you know, programming in your year, they need to be really tied into, I think, higher quality. 
And with that, I think you have two nights a week where you're releasing things now. For one, I think you need to own a night or two of the week uh, the same way that HBO owns Sunday nights. Apple TV now owns Friday nights. Maybe Netflix should own Monday night, right? Monday night is Netflix night. This is when they release a new episode, not this binge release uh, you know, style of, of programming, but you can divide it into two nights. Maybe Friday night is your binge release. Maybe you, you created something you're like, this isn't going to do the trick. Um, so instead, we'll let people binge that over the weekend. And so Friday night, we'll put out you know, the new Love is Blind or whatever you know, reality stuff that they're creating. That's a Friday night weekend binge. Get your weekend binge on kind of, you know, labeling. But then Monday night or maybe even Sunday night, like it would be interesting kind of a synergy to say Sunday night is when great TV happens. You could probably piggyback on HBO um, and just say Sunday night is, you know, good TV night and release your your quality. Whether whether you own your own night of the week or not, I don't think is entirely important. I like that idea because then if you're if you're doing it alongside another 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 competitor, I guess, that is is of high quality that you want to that you want to like associate yourself with why not you know why not why not same time it's not even i mean it's kind of competitive but at the same time if you're if you if it's really good quality like you're talking about then it should hold up and if people are more interested in that then they're going to watch that right yeah yeah or both maybe it's like or both right we have an awesome day of you know sunday night's going to be so cool i'm going to be up till midnight you know catching up on everything um and then we'll have good water cooler talk on monday you know or whatever with that like you you also need to once a week releasing things on this kind of sustained schedule allows an expansion of the conversation around your content there is no reason ozark should have been released in this one big batch that you should have paid made us pay the price right that's Mm -hmm. agonizing some of those episode endings are just like Oh my God, what's going to happen next week? Now that becomes a conversation that again, raises the perceived quality of your content because Ozark now sticks into the, the, whatever the, the mind of America so much longer in the same way game of Thrones was a big conversation piece for two months out of the year. Netflix does a thing where you release it all at once and you have to tiptoe around people. Oh, have you watched XYZ? No. Okay. Well, let me know when you do. And then by the time two weeks, you know, three weeks later, someone's watched it. You kind of forgot everything you wanted to talk about in the first place. Like Mm -hmm. there's no real way to have a ongoing conversation. Whereas one time at a week you can say, Hey, have you started watching, you know, Ozark yet? No. Oh man, you got to watch it. And then now there's not that much to catch up on. You're like, Oh man, I watched those first two episodes and holy crap, what do you think is going to happen next? You know, blah, blah, blah. And now you have a rolling thing happening, right? Ted Lasso, that's, that was kind of our experience. Like we caught up and then it was like, God, we got to wait every single week for this thing now. And it created such a much more fun engagement because me and my roommate or me and you would just sit around and talk about everything that's happened, what we think is going to happen. And that becomes a zeitgeist unto itself, right? Now, suddenly the, the conversation runs longer, you get more buzz and more people are coming to your uh, platform. And it also extends the life of your good stuff because right now the life of your good stuff is the exact same length as the life of your bad stuff. And it becomes all conflated. Mm-hmm. Netflix has a ton of great, great content, but you would never know that anytime you ever talk to anybody, they think, Oh, Netflix is crap. And it's because 
of that very conundrum. They're releasing everything uh, with the same style of quality, uh, even if they're mixed, you know, mismatched. And with that, I think you have to bring back canceled shows in order to bring back lost subscribers. So any show that wasn't resolved, but was critically loved or had a strong community, bring it back, let it finish, such as the OA. <laughs> Yes, thank you. <laughs> like, what were you thinking? Like, you have to stop evaluating everything purely on whether or not it drives subscriber growth. And you have to ask yourself, is does this have prestige? So your Sunday, Monday night is prestige night. This is where you garner acclaim and awards and cultural conversation. This is what HBO does. HBO, if they were really only ever thinking about, you know, dollars would never have finished The Wire. Great point. Which a lot of people argue, you know, this is the greatest show ever, but you get through a few episodes of it and you're just like, this is terrible, man. I, I can't get through this, but it it's a slow burn. It takes time to warm up to. But this is what's garnered HBO as the place to be. All artists, I don't care who you are, want to work with HBO. And it's because they have prestige. The reason they have prestige is because they buy into art house. They buy into, hey, we know this show isn't doesn't have the viewership it deserves, but we believe in the show. We believe in the art, and therefore we're going to support it. And that's how The Wire gets five seasons instead of one. It's because they believed in the art. You know, Game of Thrones, I'm sure, could have been canceled within the first two seasons based on the, the viewership. I started watching that on episode one. I don't think most people really started watching that until season three. Like it took yeah. ages for it to kind of catch up before it became game of Thrones. Like it wasn't overnight. And to do that, they had to spend millions and millions and millions of dollars uh, to keep the quality high. And of course the quality got higher as that show went, but they believed first in the story and in the art. And you have to do that. So bring back shows uh, that are acclaimed or have a great fan base. And with an E, is actually a fantastic show. I didn't start watching it until it was over. <laughs> like the the last season released before I really was convinced to watch it. And I watched it and I was like, oh man, this is great. Uh, it's not wrapped up yet. When are they, they're not going to finish it. They just canceled it mid midstream. Fans were outraged. And that's how you lose faith with people. Uh, this is why I think Google has a hard time buying in with their new stuff because people know Google's going to cancel this at some point in the future. Like there's very few things that last in the, the Google biosphere. And it's just because whatever reason they think, you know, the growth isn't there, but it becomes a self-fulfilling pro prophecy at a certain point. Um, if people don't think there's a reason to, to start this show, why are you going to start it? If you think it's not going to be finished. Um, and so sensate glow, American scandal, mystery science theater, 3000. These are all like, really really compelling shows that uh, you should bring back in order to bring back uh, subscribers i also think you got to continue to steal canceled beloved shows from other networks like futurama just got renewed after being long thought dead uh by hulu and i can't i cannot imagine how many people are going to be subscribing uh or staying keeping their subscription to hulu in order to see two new seasons of Futurama. Like what a great decision. Uh, there's a ton of canceled shows that were just loved, but didn't whatever catch on in their time. And it over years, it grows. Can you imagine if they brought back Firefly? 
Like, uh, oh man, oh gosh, that, I was I was thinking of something like that, <laughs> right? Like the internet yeah. would lose its mind uh, to have a new season of Firefly, and that's one of those blank check moments of you, whatever you want. You want to make a movie, you want to make a new season, whatever you want. Here's a hundred million dollars, yeah. do it. Also, think uh, you should steal dead franchise films, like, and this isn't exactly what I mean, but Community. Had six seasons in a movie, but we never got the movie. That was the whole thing with Community. I would see, go to Dan Harmon and say, hey, how much to make a new Community movie? But there's probably a ton of other franchise films um, that just kind of lost their way or maybe no one thought to make it a franchise film. I don't know. You could probably go steal dead dead films and re- reinvigorate it. Um, and then again, circle it back back through the box office, see what you can recoup. Uh, and there's probably some really good uh, ways that you could divvy up those budgets, right? There's here's your five million dollar movie that we know we can recoup through our free advertising platform that we've created, et cetera, et cetera. And here's our fifty million, hundred million based on projections, whatever. There's a lot of smart ways, and they are incredibly smart when it comes to their analytics um, to use that team to build out what budget makes sense for what film. And if, if Blumhouse can do it, I promise Netflix can. Mm-hmm. And then you also, I think, need to resuscitate dead artists or revive passion projects from well-established artists. Like, I thought Scorsese's mobster movie was a great idea. Bad movie, but a really good idea. Like, go support Scorsese. And then uh, he's got a passion project. No one wants to fund it. Cool. Now you... Now you've earned something uh, from the art community and from, you know, someone who matters. You're you're adding prestige and cachet to your brand name. Uh, Guillermo del Toro wanted to make Mountains of Madness for ages. Uh, couldn't get it off the ground. Go back to him. See, hey, do you still want to make that? Let's do it. You have all the weight in the world. We're going to release it, give it the proper wide release and throw all our weight behind it. There's a lot of artists. Danny Boyle probably has a ton of uh, passion projects that he'd love to make. And whoever else, Aronofsky, like just go through all the the greats and see what do you have that you've been wanting to make? And let's see if it fits uh, with our new artistic uh, license that, that we're, we're taking here. And so I think if you're, if you're doing the box office thing now, that new theatric development you're going to find a lot more support from existing artists, you know, because I think that's turned off a lot of artists to say, I'm not making for Netflix uh, because I don't do TV movies of the week. Like we're Mm. we're not doing that. And you could also probably find cheap new artists through old avenues, go through the blacklist, read through scripts that everyone loves that no one's going to make the film festival route, right? You could probably go and look through YouTube Vimeo artists to say, hey, you have a, a really cool art audience. They've done this a little bit. Um, they could probably stand to do that a little bit more and say, hey, here's a million dollars. This is always fascinating to me. We've had that conversation like, hey, take $50 million, go find 50 artists and say, hey, what script do you want to make? Could you make it for under a million dollars? And just see what happens, right? You'll probably find some magic. But I think the bottom line is to ask yourself one question, which is, is it award worthy? Yes. Slow release Monday. No. Friday binge release. And then maybe through that binge release, you find your next prestige uh, film. I imagine Squid Game would have been a Friday release if they were looking at it early on and saying, I don't know about this one. And then said, oh man, season two, that's prestige night. We are, we're going gung ho with that. 
anyway, that's the, I think the shortest version of my game plan. What say ye, Todd? I think it's brilliant. Uh, one question I have would be, because this is a slow burn, like let's just say they implemented all of these things tomorrow. It would hurt their bottom line really bad. So that's a decision that would need to be timed well, if that makes sense, because that's that's spending a lot of money for something that you're not going to get results from immediately. Like you said, it's a it's a perception thing, which takes a long time to to change. Right. It's like a it's like turning the Titanic. It's you, you know, you people see Netflix as one thing in order to change that perception to an HBO level thing. You've got to not only take time but a lot of content needs to needs to come in so i think i honestly think that if they were going to do something like that now is a perfect time Uh they're already in the tank they're already in the shitter you know that like like people are expecting bad numbers so let's give them bad numbers you know instead of instead of like okay let's re let's like you know get our share price back up get our memberships back up and then we'll we'll start doing that then they're going to tank again and two tanks is way two tanks is way worse than one bigger tank. Yeah. If that makes sense. Totally. You know? And I think you're right. So. Now is the perfect time for that reason. And also, you know, it's especially like right this moment, they're about to release a new season of Stranger Things. And I don't know what else other big tentpole uh, franchises they have, but now would be a good time to start feathering out your content that you know is going to draw people in. And then if you could, by the end of this quarter, come back and say, hey, by the way, here's a bunch of new releases that are about to come out. We, we've re-signed, you know, new seasons of the OA and blah, blah, blah. Like we renewed. Suddenly you're getting buzz again. Suddenly you're probably getting just good faith renewals in, in order to have positive press releases instead of all these negative press releases uh, of, yeah, guys, sorry, we did it again. We lost another 300,000 subscribers. That's going to hurt. But if you can add a little south to that, probably better. I mean, the other thing about Netflix is that their numbers were gigantic during the during COVID, the height of COVID, because everybody was locked in at home and yeah. nobody could go to the movies. So obviously now that, you know, COVID is, is being tamed a little bit more and people are going back to work a lot and and out of their houses a lot more, you know, like mask mandates are pretty much gone. Like, of course, they're going to lose some. Like I expected that just like zoom, you know, was going to go back down. Like, of course that's going to happen. So that's understandable. And that doesn't concern me if I'm, you know, the CEO of Netflix, because that is just like, okay, we're going back to normal, you know, but what is normal, you know, and can normal still be better? Yeah, of course it can. Of course it can. I think those are brilliant ideas and that, you know, I was just sitting there listening to you talk and I was like, they should you should probably be on their board of directors or something with that, those ideas or like, like, you know, bring them to them somehow, because I mean, obvious dude, I, there has got to be people within Netflix that have these same thoughts Agreed, and, and they're probably, maybe they're higher ups or maybe they're not. And, and they're just trying to hopefully like people will listen to them. I don't know. You know, I don't pretend to know what, how that works, but there's gotta be people within the, the, the company that they feel the same way. Mm-hmm. I completely agree. Yeah. yeah. And so hopefully they turn it around. I'm a fan of Netflix. I'm a fan of their model and what they've done uh, for artists um, like myself who are just looking for a chance. And so I'm, I'm hoping that they'll, uh, they'll weather the storm because 
I like the idea of having more creators than fewer, um, more, yeah. more platforms is better, I think, than fewer. And the last thing I would, I would want is just to see Disney owning everything. Like that's already oh, God. pretty exhausting. Please no. <laughs> uh, do, are they, are they profitable? Uh, Netflix. Yet. That's a good question. I don't know. I know there were, okay. they were in the hole for years and years by this new content strategy. Uh, well, new relatively, you know, six, seven years ago, mm-hmm. but good question. I will look it up and put it in the show notes though. Yeah. I'm, I was just, just curious. Cause it, I mean, yeah, yeah, that it matters. So not that it matters because if you're going to compete with like HBO and stuff, you just need to you need quality, need quality, need quality, man. So speaking of the devil, Disney, uh, what are we actually going to be covering today? <laughs> today, we're covering Doctor Strange in the Multiverse of Madness. So it just came out. So if you haven't seen it, please pause this episode and go to the theater and watch it because we're going to spoil a lot of stuff. Yeah. And I would tack on the uh, we'll spoiler that and also we'll spoil a lot of the MCU I don't know if there's a good way to have a conversation about this film without discussing the wider uh, Marvel Cinematic Universe. And so if you're not up to date, there's a chance we might spoil something somewhere. But if you're not up to date, I I suspect you probably don't care anyway. (laughs) Um, It's one of those things you either really care or you really don't. Um, Yeah. Yeah. But we'll talk about a few things. We'll look at some of the story and writing, the dramatic needs and character arcs. Uh, we'll look at the directing, set design, genre bending, and other such stuff and things and stuff. And a quick synopsis of the film. Dr. Stephen Strange casts a forbidden spell that opens the doorway to the multiverse. Directed by Sam Raimi. Written by Michael Waldron. Cinematography by John Matheson. Starring Benedict Cumberbatch as Dr. Strange. Elizabeth Olsen as Wanda the Scarlet Witch. Rachel McAdams as Christine. Sochi Gomez as America Chavez. Benedict Wong as Wong, and Chiwetel Ejiofor as Mordo. Every night, I dream the same dream. Then, the nightmare begins. I did what I had to do to protect our world. You cannot control everything, Strange. You opened the doorway between universes, and we don't know who or what will walk through it. Wanda, what do you know about the multiverse? Viz had his theories. He believed it was dangerous. He was right. I'm sorry, Stephen. Your desecration of reality will not go unpunished. We should tell him the truth. Todd. Hey Wes, Booby, <laughs> what did you think? Oh man, I I'm just gonna let you talk for the most part in this episode <laughs> because so I went here's here's what I here's what I thought just in a nutshell I I brought a couple of my friends my riding buddies last night to to see this movie 
I bought tickets and everything and just was like, hey, let's let's go let's go see this because the trailer looked good. The trailer was like was like, oh, it's 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 good. And then the moment the movie ended, I looked at him, I said, that was awful. It was awful. It was not. There were I mean, there were a couple of moments where I was like rolling my eyes. I couldn't believe the script got approved and that as as these actors are delivering these lines, they're not saying that doesn't make sense. Why would I repeat that? Uh, what was it? The 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 dark. What is the book? Uh, the dark, the dark hold. Oh, gosh, dark hold. Thank you. Why would she just said dark hold? Why would I also say dark hold two seconds later? If I heard the word dark hold one more time in that movie, I was going to throw something at the screen. It was driving me crazy. The exposition was out, off the fucking charts. It was like it was just you take a character that's supposed to be strong. And you you diminish him into this this just like magical I don't know there there is no there's no strength behind this Doctor Strange for me there's it's just magic and without his magic he's a helpless dude and that's not a that's not a hero right we've established very well in the MCU what a hero actually is with Captain America with with um, uh, Spider-Man with uh, Thor. It's a, it is someone who can who is bigger than their costume. Someone who is bigger than their power. Right, their power is taken away, and they find a way to still. I mean, hell, even Batman. You know, let's go into DC a little <laughs> bit and Superman. They still find a way to do good and fix the, fix things. Mm. But they've made Doctor. This is the problem that I've had with Doctor Strange since the beginning. He's just a dude. Like, I I like the idea of him. And I like Benedict Cumberbatch as an actor. I think he's a brilliant actor mm-hmm. in stuff other than this. I do not like him in Doctor Strange. I never have. I know, I think I think you kind of disagree, and that's mm-hmm. fine. But, like, I, it's, it's always just kind of surface for me. It's total fluff. And this is total fluff as well. For me, the, I think the best part, if I had to pick one good aspect to take away from, from the movie would be portions of Elizabeth Olsen's performance portions. When I say portions, I mean like, Oh, there's a good moment. And then it's gone. And it's mostly gone because they bury her in CGI and magic instead of letting the giving her, letting her character have a, a moment Right. And there are these little moments, but they're so little that I can't connect to them. Right. It's I, oh, I see, I see a good, I see a good moment. I see some personality. I see some humanity. And then it's taken away because something magical is in the background, even. Like I don't want CGI in every single shot. I, I just don't. Give me a human moment where there is, even if it's not a human, right? If it's an alien. Give me a human moment where there is not some kind of like, like computer generated thing happening. And you almost never get that in this film. Also, I don't buy her motivation in this, like her, 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 I'm going to tear the universe apart because I want these children I'm dreaming of. I want to take them away. At least they identified 
it at the end where her the the actual mother version of her says don't don't worry they're loved at least they identify it but still mm. it's like she doesn't she hasn't thought about that you know when she decides to destroy a universe in order to and and kill another child in order to get to her children she hasn't thought about the fact that i'm going to take these children away from the mother they know and love because that's not her right it's a totally different version of her. So she's literally going to kill their mother and put them through anguish in order to have them. Like it, it doesn't make any sense that she hasn't thought about that, you know, and, and is willing to go to those, to those lengths. And then I, Sochi's performance is like, I just, it was just so not right. And then Rachel makes Adam's performance. Like when they're trying to bust her out of the glass case mm. and, that okay there are so many bad moments but that was like a laughable moment she is a brilliant rachel mcadams character is a brilliant scientist who's been there working there for years and now she's like futzing with these little things on the glass oh it won't open we hold incredibly powerful beings in this but you know what's going to break it is a fire extinguisher (laughs) right yeah exactly like give me a break you have dr strange locked in this thing and you're going to break it with a it just no sense at all. There were a couple of really cool visual moments, like when she's, well, comical. The the twenty minute fight in mom jeans that that we had of her, where she was she was the mother, she was the actual mother in her body, and she's just like you know like in a t shirt and jeans. Uh, but how she ended up killing the superheroes in the in the other universe where what's it what's it, john krasinski yeah. how she like flays him in like little little spaghettios or spaghetti <laughs> like that was pretty cool um so those are there were some cool moments where she was like really angry but the whole motivation behind the whole thing was just garbage i felt like it felt like three hours long it wasn't it, wasn't. it was just two hours which is a normal length for a marvel movie and then yeah like at the very end, him him giving her giving America the the motivational speech, and now all of a sudden she knows how to use her power because he motivated her. Like, stop! Just, just stop! Like, who who read this script and thought, yeah, this is good? Let's put one hundred fifty million behind this. How can that happen? And what what the okay? What the fuck? is Marvel doing now ever since infinity war or Endgame, They're just like making shit. It's not leading. To, I have no idea what it's leading to. There's no like, like goal. They're just aimlessly giving, giving tasks to our superheroes to defeat something else. Nothing is stronger than Thanos. Nothing, nothing you've given me. Yeah. Nothing you've given me. Right. Is, is stronger than Thanos. So like, like why, you know, I look at a trailer like this and I'm like, Oh, that looks really good. That the trailers are great. The trailers are great. <laughs> Whoever is making these trailers should be making a lot of money. You know, they're doing a really, really great job of like, Oh, that looks good. You know? Oh, I want to see that, you know, but then you get in there and there's no story. The script is shit. The camera work is just like, like unmotivated. I, I get the ideas behind some of the, Right. the turns and stuff, but they're happening when they don't need to happen. Right. Yeah. That's the same Raimi effect. That's very same Raimi. Yeah. Yeah. 
Yeah. But like, I get it. I get why you would want to do that in a movie like this that's supposed to make you feel off. But all the time, like, and unmotivated, there's no reason to do it, but we're going to do it anyway. Like, it doesn't. Yeah. And I and I felt that from the very beginning when he wakes up from his dream, the camera backs up and tilts, mm-hmm. which makes sense. But then I want to cut. Yeah. But it doesn't cut. It goes back into him. It's like that felt really weird. Okay, whatever. Uh, so anyway, I didn't like it at all. Two stars out of ten. It was just not not enjoyable and actually a little embarrassing because I brought friends to it, mm. excited to see it, and yeah, yeah, that's a bad feeling because I I was embarrassed too. Like I didn't bring anyone. I was just. <laughs> you're just alone in the theater yeah, embarrassed. yeah basically oh <laughs> uh, and it's like dang because i i really really hate to see well-cast movies that are bad like we had a similar experience we went and watched a uh, raccoon city whatever resident evil thing and i was walked out i was like man that was terrible R- great job casting because those are great actors and i it feels terrible to watch great actors like elizabeth olin you know, struggle against bad directing and bad screenwriting, which ultimately is still the director's responsibility. It's your responsibility to shore up the script. And so we can't just put it all on Michael Waldron. Um, You have to look at Sam Raimi as where the buck stops. And it was frustrating. Um, And I, I agree with everything you just said and plus some, right? Like I didn't understand her motivation at all. Right. Her story felt completely untethered to any story logic. Right. She's just kind of bitter and evil. And her arc ends with her realizing she's evil and doing the right thing. Like it felt like a completely unnecessary journey. There is no reason that journey needed to be had for her to come to the realization that you, you that you said that her kids are fine in order to uh, get what she's wanting. She's going to have to tear apart their world uh which is a net negative like what a weird and there's also no strong setup of why she knows anything about america chavez anyway like why is she looking for her uh we we open the film with some monster or other you know trying to chase america down uh we never established that that i don't at least i don't remember um if we ever established that was Scarlet Witch doing that, that she was really behind it's implied, but there's no story logic as to how or why she knows what she knows is all of that just in the book of hole or the, the dark hold or whatever. Like I, that either I just couldn't care enough to pay attention or it just really, you know, skirted around it a little too indirectly, but her whole journey and story felt, completely unmotivated um, and ungrounded to her larger story, because this was a completely unsatisfying end of her character's journey, right? Because when we first meet Scarlet Witch, uh, Wanda, as she's known, you know, then she started as a very sympathetic character, right? She was a villain with a reason she was wronged uh, by the Avengers. And it begat her whole journey in the first place. And of course that, that side of her, her, her villainous side wrapped up with her realizing it, not everything is so easy. And maybe the, the decisions that I made have only made things worse. So 
that's kind of where she became a good guy and lost her Russian accent as apparently all <laughs> Russian defects do. Yes. <laughs> yes. Every time I watch it, I think, wait a minute, because I recently watched Ultron mm. and yeah. uh, with Simon <laughs> and he loved that moment, yeah. that moment where, where Hawkeye tells her, you walk out that door, you're an Avenger. Yeah. It, to him, it was like, and he even called that out. He said, uh, Simon is my son for anybody who's not, <laughs> he's nine for anybody who has no idea who Simon is. Um, he, he, it was, it was meaningful to him. She made the decision to put her past behind her and to become, and to fight for something that was good. It was important. And she, she chose that and he loved that moment. And yes, she lost her Russian accent, <laughs> um, as the movies went on, but, but to have it end her character end like that, it's just like, I don't even want him to see this movie, you know? Right. Right. And so her journey didn't make any sense to me. Not just the end of it, the beginning of it. Uh, they don't establish very well at all that motivation, that really deep need to go through and rip universes apart in order to have kids. Like, and, and in some ways, it feels a little demeaning <laughs> to women. Yeah. <laughs> to be like, her prime imperative is to have children. <laughs> I have a solution. I could tell you a solution right now. Please. God. What if the what if the here's a solution. What if the mother of the children, the real mother or the real mother wasn't the real mother? What mm. if it what if it was if she found out that, that that mother had jumped into another into her universe and taken her kids and she's just now like realizing that or trying to get back to them. Mm. Now she has a motivation to get back to them, right? But they are lo they love her because they've been raised by her their whole life so she's she's of the the action of the fake brother whatever she's actually the one that they love because that's all that they've known and so she makes she tears the universe apart to get them back but then realizes that that's their mom now you mm -hmm. know and then makes the decision to leave them with her kind of thing now all of a sudden you have a motivation you have a heartbreak at the end and a, and a decision that only a mother could make mm. You know what I mean? Yeah, that works. There you go, Sam. Like, what the hell? I think they're, they felt maybe that they established her onset with the WandaVision sideshow um, on Disney+. Plus. I watched no. all of that. I hated basically all of that. There was maybe a few moments in there that I, I appreciated. But I thought largely it was just terrible and ended in a very nonsensical way. The MCU's done a really good job of grounding everything and unifying everything, all these powers to exist in the same world. And suddenly, you know, you, I don't know, witchcraft, I think may have been a step too far because I, I don't understand the kind of impetus that allows for that as well as Thor and uh, Dr. Strange to all, I don't know. It just felt like, okay, we've, we've maybe gone one step too far, but Okay, what about America? America's journey is a little odd too. Uh, she's singular, right? In the multi, in all the multiverse, there's only one America. And on that note, her iconography seems pointless in the context of this film. Maybe in the comic book or whatever's to come, you know, there's a larger point being made. But she is very America centric, right? Her her portals to other multiverses or old other universes uh, is a star, right? Her jacket, her blue jean jacket 
right? It has stars and stripes on it. Um, and her name itself, right, is America. And America Chavez might point to, you know, the melting pot of America idea. Great. I mean, I don't dislike any of that, but none of that motif is employed into the film in any direct or meaningful way that I could pick up. And I, I could not watch this a second time. I just refused. And so if my notes are a little worse this week for, for that, I'm, I'm not, a, I'm not sorry. <laughs> I, guess, I just couldn't <laughs> it was, take it. It was worth it uh, because it did feel like a three hour movie. And I got about 45 minutes in. And I was like, man, is this thing almost done? <laughs> but her backstory it's supposed to be tragic, but it just seemed slapped together, right? As we're watching a memory of her losing her family due to her power. Uh, and it just, I, and yeah, her, her performance just wasn't good enough. I'm going to blame that on directing uh, because she's still really young, you know, and it's, there's a lot more, you know, space for her to grow as an actor. And so I want to allow for that. And, and instead, Sam Raimi is incredibly seasoned. He's been directing longer than I've been alive. Um, and so he should be able to not just, I don't know if he had any choice on casting here, but regardless, he should have been able to pull out the most from a young actor and at least know how to leverage the other actors around her to elevate her performance, right? Maybe she can do a little less in this scene and we can put more on them, or maybe I can coach her through uh, this performance so that, you know, the, the end result may not be satisfying from an actor's point of view, but it's much stronger from a viewer's point of view. And I just don't think he did any of that because um, it just was not good. And so, and to your point earlier, like the grand finale, right? Is strange convinces her to trust herself. Like the power was within her all along and you just kind of see sparkles fly around. Like it was just so bad. It was just so corny and cheesy and uh, just checked out i was completely checked out of every emotional beat of this film but i think worst of all is dr strange like what is his arc in this film right he has to convince other people he isn't bad right he has to convince himself that he isn't bad like whatever it is if it's even there it's not demonstrated very well and at least with any emotional punch um, instead, his emotional journey kind of takes a backseat to the supporting characters, right? Wanda, America, maybe even Rachel. And I will say the only character I emotionally connected with in this entire movie was Rachel. And that may have as much to do with Rachel McAdams. Uh, Christine, God, I, I wrote Rachel in my... It's, it's fine. Yeah, Christine, uh, that character. And that might just have more to do with Rachel McAdams being an incredible actress uh, and, and understanding how to leverage her skill despite, you know, and maybe she was fighting against bad directing. I don't know. But she did a lot with a little um, and I was able to connect really easily with that character. I struggled with everyone else, even Elizabeth Olsen. But maybe they gave her too much of bad for her to do to fight against like at a certain point as an actor you're kind of screwed <laughs> i think you know yeah. you can only do so much and elizabeth olsen is a world-class actor and i hope she's done with this universe because she deserves to be making uh, indie films again and art house dramas mm -hmm. um and maybe good tentpole releases with like christopher nolan or something she deserves better um than than what she's mostly had to work with in this universe but uh, going back to strange, maybe the intention was to take the audience on an arc of questioning him to trusting him. 
right? We start the film and we see him do something pretty egregious, right? Which is take an innocent life in order to do the greater good, right? We're seeing him do something bad, try to kill America in order to achieve uh, protecting the multiverse, uh, which has precedent, right? We've seen him do net positive things through bad th things that feel bad in the moment, right? Uh, the end of Infinity War uh, was a gut punch, but he knew we needed to do that. And so his greater wisdom... But I think I, I think they probably aimed at him learning that he doesn't have to be in control of everything. And that's his arc, right? He bows to no one. They kind of demonstrate that and, and poke fun at it throughout the film of him refusing to bow to Wong, even though he's the supreme pizza or whatever he is. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I honestly forgot what it's called, but Sorcerer, Sorcerer Supreme. Yeah. Um, and so he refuses to bow and that's kind of leading into this idea that he, he has to con control everything. He has to be in control. He is the, the pinnacle despite whatever, but the payoff is so lackluster because it feels so arbitrary. Like the conflict felt arbitrary and unearned to begin with, with Wanda, right? We never really strongly established her need, her dramatic need, the thing that's going to compel the entire story <laughs> is panned, glossed over in like a two minute, very poorly thought uh, dream sequence, um, which she apparently automatically knows that all dreams are in another universe. Like, I don't know why she gets to know that, even though apparently what's her face? Uh, America is the only one who knows that. Cause I think she explains that to Dr. Strange. She does. Yeah. And so if Dr. Strange being incredibly knowledgeable about the multiverse doesn't know that little tidbit, I don't know how Wanda gets that tidbit. Uh, but again, maybe it's in the mysterious pages of the dark hold, <laughs> but stop saying that. <laughs> I'm going to put it on a loop and it's just 30 minutes oh, dark that, hole, dark hole. that phrase. Um, and so it just felt the entire story, the dramatic need wasn't earned. Um, and so everything that comes after feels pretty arbitrary and random. Um, the fight scenes all felt arbitrary, right? You have random superpowers versus other random superpowers. None of it felt motivated by character wit or choice, right? They throw up a shield and she, Wanda attacks it and fails. And then, of course, Scarlet Witch invades the guy's mind and gets him to run. So some of her powers can't get through the shield, but some do. It felt like there was no internal story logic in place to give rhyme or reason to the outcomes that we got. It just felt like based on what they wanted you to experience. And it creates a false sense of drama, right? It comes, ac comes across as very melodramatic because you don't really go with them on any of these journeys at any point in time. There's no story logic. There's no dramatic need that we're bought into. And then, of course, the victory itself felt limp because we never understood America's powers or her journey. Like, why is she more powerful than Wanda? And the buildup has been crippled, of course, through cheesy story choices. And so whenever you have kids singing really whack ice cream songs to their mom, like I just and then. I, I don't know if I've ever actually laughed in a movie. I <laughs> I don't. I try to stay in it. I fight. Every movie I see, no matter how bad it is, I fight to stay in it the entire time until it's over. And then I roll my eyes. But I literally laughed in that scene towards the end when the kids go and cower behind the, the staircase. 
Like, yeah. and it just felt so, so bad. I just started laughing. I was just like, what are we doing here? <laughs> like, this is just nobody knows completely. Nobody knows. And so I think the, this movie from a story and writing perspective is what happens when a first draft meets bad directing this is the answer to that unasked question. <laughs> like <laughs> this, this was just the first draft. It should not have ever to your point have made it past uh, that draft and said, okay, we got a great working start. Cool. Let's see. I don't know if you can make this into a great script. I think you can make it into a good movie experience though. Yeah. I think, I think you could, I think you could, I think you could make it into a great script. I mean, there are a lot of, things that would need to change but i i think the bones were interesting mm. and it just it needed stuff to to you needed to to be slower in some places and then just get rid of other things that didn't need to be there in the in the first place but also like it was just poorly directed like you said earlier one of the not the first things but like one of the first things about wanda that just was like very like oh my gosh this is going to be she's is they're shitting on her character the first conflict that they have at at you know where they have the shield up she's struggling already mm -hmm. i'm sorry but when you when you when you have a bad guy and the bad guy's supposed to be like way more powerful there is no struggle in the beginning they walk straight through everything oh. right and then they start struggling throughout because you start finding like oh she's weaker here she's whatever this is a weakness but they actually keep her at bay and she's surprised or something or you know well first first when they are fighting in the air when they shoot at each other in the air she shoots at strange strange shoots at her and and she's like almost like shocked that there's this that she's you know not as strong as she thought she was that is a terrible start that is a terrible start to what's supposed to be the strongest villain, yeah. right? Okay, so, you know, yeah. you could take something like that and just allow her to just mow everyone down quickly. All of a sudden, the scene that was five minutes long is now a two, right? So you've cut a lot out and you've established that she is there. There is no stopping her, which you talk about a lot on this podcast, which is like you put put your your hero in in a in a position where they there is no way that they can escape where they are totally done for and then find a way to let make them escape yeah. or help them escape right yeah. they, they were just never in that position right because she was always fine there was always some kind of weakness right so there's no yeah you're not nervous at all <laughs> never the yeah. entire time you know so anyway no it's right. true and on that directing like there was a heavy reliance on cartoony visual effects and good point. I, I think that was one of the more surprising things because Marvel has always been on the brighter side of, you know, the action, um, which I'm fine with. Like it, it works for me. I don't, oh, I like dark gritty stuff, but this universe just isn't that. And I've made my peace with that and I'm totally fine. I go along for the ride every time, but I was surprised that even a lot of the visual effects just weren't very good. And I put that on directing. I, you got to know what you can pull off and what you can't like the, I don't know what the 
gigantic eyeball. It looked like a deformed eye of the beholder. Eye of the beholders don't usually, I think, have like those kind of tentacles, but it felt like this giant eye of the beholder um, attacking the city or whatever. And it just visually did not connect. Uh, it, it looked off. Um, and then, of course, a lot of cartoony emotional pools were were just supposed to see people with their family and immediately care because and it just felt like a robot writing and directing like see human things children are afraid you know and you're just supposed to like <laughs> immediately trigger your human things <laughs> like yeah it just and it didn't it, it doesn't work like that you need much more specificity children liking ice cream isn't good enough you need something that is more specific that we recognize as a possibility within humanity to connect with something that you know is universal but specific uh and they just never pressed those buttons instead it was just first draft you know vomit and it was felt like filler till we think of something better except they forgot to come back and and insert those other better things the set design felt stagey and fake and fabricated uh through most of it and i don't blame the set designers for that because amazing sets can look bad in the wrong light with the wrong camera angle um and with the wrong lens like those are director decisions um and it doesn't matter how good your cinematographer is uh if you're telling him and asking for things that, uh, that go against what he actually wants he doesn't have the final say like the director has the, the buck stops there with sam raimi um and he brought his evil dead and the evil dead 2 sensibility into the marvel cinematic universe and it just didn't work i will say there was one set that i did love which was the the dr strange's evil house right um at the end the kind of haunted house i loved it i, I thought that was a fantastic set the visual effects all worked well for me the the ocean and the stairwell to the clouds uh, i thought it was gorgeous but barring that everything else felt like we're trying to earn oohs and ahs through visual effects and we are past that uh in this era i don't think you can really trigger that sense of awe through just oh we're gonna throw you through interesting multiverse uh scenarios right oh we were a cartoon yeah that sucks ha 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 can't eat or whatever like you're relying too much on the multiverse to do the heavy lifting for the wow factor when you should be relying on the emotional drama to pull you in and make you care about what they're experiencing. And then uh, the tension is there because you care about their fate, not because you're impressed by, you know, the scenario. And I, there was a number of times where I swear I could feel the start of a take. Like it didn't feel yes. Well edited. Uh, I totally get what you're saying. You know, yeah. like you, you just kind of start the scene and, I could hear him say take in, in my mind, like, and action, right? Like I could hear him in my mind say, even though it wasn't in the audio, uh, I swear I could hear it. And it just, it felt like he decided to direct the editing in the worst way possible. Again, I'm the editing is bad, not because this is probably a world-class editor. I didn't look it up and look at their work. I don't have to. They're editing a Marvel film. They're professionals. 
And yet the editing was terrible because of the directing that you have to look at the directing whenever you look at bad editing, because ultimately they, they're the ones who are asking for this, that, and the third editors know what works. Uh, and if the director isn't trusting them, then what do you do? You do what you're asked. That's what you do. And it sucks. Trust me, as a filmmaker, I've been on the wrong side of requests before. And at the end of the day, the client is the client and you're just there to, uh, to do your job, despite, you know, how frustrating it is to you. And there was also just a lot of bad physicality of the heroes, like particularly uh, America Chavez. She didn't look like a superhero with her physicality. Um, it just felt at times overly posed or just awkward. It didn't look comfortable doing all these physical ac actions. And I, again, put that on the directing uh, because even if someone isn't good with their physicality, there are ways to hide it. If there's just no way you can get, I do not know how to pronounce her name. Uh, Zochi. Zochi. Sochi. Sochi. Yeah. I'm glad you know. Uh, and so. Yeah, it's fine. I knew I had a friend with that name. Oh, nice. And so I, I don't know whether or not, you know, she's comfortable in action stuff or not. But I know if there's just no way, like, man, you know, she's just too young. She still doesn't understand physicality yet. There are ways to shoot around it. Like, I guarantee I look awkward as shit on camera. Uh, and there are ways to shoot around my awkwardness. <laughs> like, I'm a lanky, long-limbed weirdo. But there are ways to shoot longer lenses. And, you know, you don't have to shoot wide and capture the whole thing. You can cheat through close-ups. And, and so whatever you see bad happening on screen especially in this film there are times when there are things beyond your control in directing i get it this just isn't one of those times when you have so many things adding up to you, you it's just egregious at a certain point you have to say most of this is going to have to be on the directing and i think for me the biggest offense was they didn't commit to their genre they they dallied a little too much with horror without committing to horror. And it just, I love genre bending. I love mixing and matching genres. A good romance horror, cool, love it. You know, 28 Days Later, great. Uh, you can do these things, but you have to commit to it. And they're trying to make a PG-13, you know, or maybe, and they're giving it G-level horror. And I felt completely safe. And they do some fun, interesting implications, right? The whole, she uh, saw, what's her name? Captain, oh my God, uh, Haley Atwell. Oh, Captain Marvel? or No, Captain, not Captain America, Captain, the first Avenger in the alternate, alternate it's Haley Atwell playing Captain America. Yeah, I thought it was Captain Marvel, no? No. Um, no, that's, no, yeah, that's, yeah, that's, that's sorry. Thing. That's, uh, uh, oh God. Oh man, yeah, because she has Disney plus where they have the what if yeah 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 she has that what if episode mm -hmm. where what if she was the one that became captain america uh captain carter what, um, I had, what captain carter yeah. yeah and so that whole scene of her fighting you know and getting sawed in half i love the idea i love the idea of that entire sequence i just was just i was just checked out i didn't buy into it i didn't think captain carter had a shot in hell after watching all those other people get like burned down and so it they just never committed and they they Sam Raimi chose weird moments to stretch out like hey we're going to sit on this beat 
and wait, right? There's that scene where they throw up the barrier and they're waiting to see if Scarlet Witch is going to get through. And we just wait and they watch and we wait and we watch. And then she just kind of pops out from around the corner somehow or another. I don't really care. Yeah. But it was just such a weird decision for your characters knowing full well, like she can rip apart like buildings or whatever. And that little metal rusted bucket is going to stop her from getting through. Like that's such a weird character decision to not have them running and trying to create distance. Um, if, if that's the, if that's the goal right now, which is a dumb goal, but. And where did she come from? They're in a two, they're in a tunnel. Yeah. It's like, she came from the side. She like just teleported. Like, I don't, I don't, none of it made sense. And she had already run through like three doors. Right. Yeah. Right. It was just a very weird decision to, Let's create tension through watching and waiting, Mm -hmm. which you already knew the resolution to. And it wasn't even a very satisfying, like jump scare. They just didn't commit to the horror genre. If, if they wanted to explore kind of the Scarlet witch and witches and horror. And uh, it was just a bad call all the way around. I was frustrated. Todd, my question to you, and you've kind of already touched on it is, is Marvel in trouble? I was oh I was just going to say this is crazy. I was just going to say this is dangerous territory for Marvel. Because not only do they not have a goal, right? Before the goal was let's get to Infinity War, let's get to Endgame, let's you know, b- let's introduce all of these characters, let's show you where they came from, let's show you how they've overcome adversity, how they've come out on top, let's show you their their uh, idiosyncrasies, their shortcomings. Let's build them up um, and break them down so that when Thanos comes, we are invested in them. We want them to win, but we don't know how that could ever happen. They don't have that now. Now they're just they're just making movies. And if they have something in mind, fine, but get us there in a way that is as enjoyable and fulfilling as what we had for 10 years, you know, before before Endgame. So, yes, they are absolutely in danger because also someone approved this script. Someone watched this movie and said, yes, we're going to release this. They didn't shelve it. They're just putting shit out, right? They're just trying to recoup their dollars, I guess. I don't know. But also they're, they're, just, they're just not paying attention. They're either not paying attention or they don't care. Either way they're they're screwing the pooch in every single way and i'm i don't know what it's going to be very hard to revive doctor strange now yeah you know what i mean like so obviously there's going to be another one there's you know they had the that ending or whatever so they're they're supposed to be another one but how is that going to be any better like what is it going to be a, a better story a better script a different director i don't know but whatever it is Whoever approved this shit needs to not be involved. Whoever looked at this script and said, yes, this is ready for production. Here's a blank check. Or whoever watched the dailies and said, yes, this looks good. Whoever saw the, 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 um, you know, the scenes and the, 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 the CG as it's being developed and said, yes, we're right on track here. Whoever made any of these decisions needs to not be involved moving forward because it's, they either, like I said, they either don't care or they don't know what the fuck they're doing. Yeah. You know, it's the same danger that I felt when I saw the first 
of the most recent three Star Wars, which is this, I don't know where they can take this that's going to save it now. And I'm worried that, you know, the next Spider-Man or or whatever next thing, the next Thor. I've seen the trailer. Oh, I have not. And I'm, I'm, they're just making shit. You know, I don't see a motivation behind it. And that's the problem. It's like they were motivated before. It was, it, even if the movie wasn't great, mm-hmm. even if the movie was like, was like, a, let's just get through this because we need another instance of seeing this character overcome adversity. Okay. I, I, I see some motivation behind it because I know where it's going, but I don't know where this is going. And so not only do I not know where it's going, I don't know what the motivation to make another Doctor Strange is. None, right? I think I have a lot of frustrations. I think everything you're saying is right. They're just making crap and it's not as motivated. I think part of it is we're getting into some very convoluted storytelling. Whereas before... Yeah, it's complex. It's and very complex weird. and yeah. weird. And I think it's going to ultimately crash. Um, I wouldn't be surprised in 15 to 20 years we see a reboot of the first three phases um, because phase four has been incredibly lackluster and you have to contrast it with what we saw in those first three phases, like looking at Captain America and Iron Man. uh, I think those are two really good, simple characters. They have complex internal worlds and that's demonstrated through their arc over those first three phases. We saw Captain America come from someone who was helpless, right? But he believed in good. He believed in whatever the, uh, the, the role of government and he believed in fighting, you know, tyranny and, um, fighting evil. And that was his impetus to be greater and to participate. It was all about those things of, uh, patriotism and which as a word, I freaking hate because it's, it's, it means whatever you want it to mean. It never means anything, right? It's like bi-weekly or biannual. It means exactly what you want it to mean. <laughs> Is it every two weeks or every other week? Correct. Um, and so yeah. patriotism just doesn't mean anything. But to him, patriotism meant everything. It meant standing up for you know uh, his beliefs. And part of his beliefs was in believing that his government was doing the right thing. And we got to see that challenged through his story, right? That was the whole point of uh, the Winter Soldier is he saw what the government was doing was bad. And he stood up to his government, which was a big conflict in him. It's a simple idea. And it took an entire movie to express it. And it was just perfect because then what ends up happening is Iron Man is on the exact opposite end of that spectrum. We're seeing someone who's selfish and thinks he's above everything feel complete guilt and remorse over the the wreckage that he's left in his wake. And we're seeing him try to undo that through giving control up to a higher power, right? To the government. And so we see them meet and clash directly in the middle through civil war. And then we see uh, at the end of their arcs, like you, you see Iron Man lay down his life in order to do accomplish the greater good and the in a similar way that you know Steve Rogers was willing to do for him right he went a complete physical transformation not knowing the result but he was willing um and then of course Steve Rogers ends his journey by becoming selfish and saying i'm going to live for me now 
and he chose to, you know, have a, a life of his own where he got to be with Peggy. And so it was just a great, satisfying emotional journey for both of them. And you could look at most of those characters in those first three phases and boil them down to very simple ideas and watch them wrestle with themselves. Even Doctor Strange, I love the first movie. I think it's a really, really good movie. And even though it's not maybe the most memorable, it's watching him, a neurosurgeon, wrestle with the idea that I can't control everything and I have to give up my my science in favor of the mystic, right? I have to give up everything that I can learn in a book by everything that is intangible. And so he's wrestling with himself and what he knows to be true about the universe um, and discovering a much greater universe through that process. Um, and so there's all these little satisfying things in Thor and Hulk, uh, which they mostly ejected out of his personal journey, but he still made a really incredible supporting cast. And instead, now they're going to these much more convoluted, more difficult to pinpoint journeys that include the multiverse, which I'm okay with the idea of a multiverse. I think, you know, there's a lot of fun you can have with it. I think there's a lot more fun they could have had in this film with it uh, instead of just using it as a bobble, right, as a as a trinket. To, to kind of throw around they they could have explored a lot more of the various versions of dr strange himself and why he's a threat i don't think they did a good job of fleshing that out at all great point they implied it right they implied we've seen him destroy universe and then you kind of see the aftermath a little bit but there's no emotional punch to it you know it's just a thing that you see you, you never really get to experience it in any meaningful way in a way that really you can see him feeling the weight of his decisions through his alter egos. Uh, you just, and so I, I, yeah. I think they're in big, big trouble. I think we're about to see the collapse of Marvel. Uh, and we're going to see Disney scramble because this is one of their babies. They've kind of already destroyed star Wars um, and they're trying their best to revive it. But now Disney's going to be like, I don't know. We're just kind of resting on our laurels at this point of what we used to be instead of what we're, we're creating for you because face. But why do that? Like why? I don't know if they just don't have better material to work with or if they're just forgetting how to tell a story. And it sucks because literally like one or two episodes ago, I was bragging about how good Marvel is at telling fundamental stories. Um, and yet here we are, they have forgot how to fundamentally tell a story yeah. because black widow, let's look at phase four black widow, it was fine. It wasn't good or great. It was fine and had its moments. Shang-Chi, I thought was terrible. Eternals, I thought was terrible. Um, Spider-Man No Way Home was half amazing, half terrible. <laughs> like, uh, mm -hmm. And now we're here at Doctor Strange, uh, which was all terrible. And if we look at their television, I thought WandaVision was terrible. I thought Falcon and the Winter Soldier was fine. It was just forgettable and... If I never watched it, I would not care. Uh, Loki is great. I actually think Loki was fantastic and played the best with the multiverse so far. I thought What If was really fun. I could watch a lot more What If. And Hawkeye was pretty fun. I like, I'm upset seeing certain characters in the MCU getting pulled in. Florence Pugh should not be in Marvel. I'm so upset. No. She should be making great movies, um, not getting sucked into this. But I like, I, it was fine. It was a good season. Same thing with, uh, oh my God, 
I'm forgetting her name. Uh, the Hawkeye's replacement, Haley Steinfeld. Um, oh yeah, she's she's incredible. Um, I would rather she not be in this universe as well. But uh, I don't know. Maybe this will be good for her career as just jumping in here and there and helping remind people that hey, I'm here and I'm amazing. Mm-hmm. I thought Moon Knight was good. The only great thing about Moon Knight was Oscar Isaac. The story itself was fine, but his performance was incredible. Like he's. He's Oscar Isaac. What do you want? Yeah, he's amazing. And so I, it goes back to the point you made, though. It's like they're just kind of putting stuff out. And I know it's supposed to be building. Apparently, more multiverse stuff is on the way. And if they don't find a much cleaner way to tell those stories, uh, we're in a hell of a lot of trouble. I, well, the problem is, is that they treat you like an idiot, too. Like this movie in particular, not only is it convoluted, but they, they try to explain everything too it's like okay we're not stupid we understand you're in another universe there's going to be another one you don't have to explain it to me you don't have to tell me dark hold a million times you don't have to like like literally they're just giving you all putting it on a silver plate and they're and they're handing it to you rather than bringing you along for the ride dragging you along for the ride you know it's like that doesn't that wasn't the the situation in a lot of the the first three phases and now i just feel like it's it's constantly that it's constantly explaining this stuff and i i also f- i have a fear of this multiverse thing because it's the same situation we've talked about it on this podcast of you know oh there's a zombie phase there's a, right. a, yeah. a vampire phase and now there's a multiverse phase and it's it's such a cool the, the problem is zombies and and vampires are not cool they're just not. I don't care how good of a movie it is. They're just not cool. They're overdone. It, they've been around for a long time. It's not cool. The multiverse is fucking cool, and you're shitting on it. Mm. You're like taking a th- you're taking a really cool idea that could be told in a hundred different ways, a thousand different ways, in an in infinite different ways it could be told, and you're boiling it down to something that is really basic. You're, you're making it convoluted, but making it basic at the same time, at least in this film. And they're doing it all over the place. And it deserves a lot more attention than and detail and creativity hmm. than what they're actually giving it. Yeah. Now, I agree. I, 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 I think the most fun I've had in the multiverse has been with Rick and Morty hmm. because they don't treat it with reverence. They almost treat it with contempt while still exploring all the ideas that are within it. Um, and I, I think there's some, I think that's a pertinent point to make because the writer of Dr. Strange and the multiverse of madness, Michael Waldron has actually written an episode of Rick and Morty, huh. which he, I would think he learned something from that process in order to bring it here. And Dr. Strange, I don't, I'm okay with taking it seriously. I think there's some really interesting things to explore but it just felt like they didn't. They they wanted the audience to take it seriously while, while themselves treated it with contempt. Mm-hmm. And so I know there's apparently a much more multiverse stuff to come. And the new big bad is supposed to be, the new Thanos is supposed to be something to do with multiverse stuff. I don't know. I don't read the comic books. And so I can't spoil anything for y'all. But what, one thing I would say too, just the last thing I will say is that I also all of these individual movies, like one of the things I liked about the first kind of like, you know, 
three phases you were talking about was that you would never know who was going to pop up right mm -hmm. in you know there were multiple superheroes on top of you know like iron man's going to jump in here or black widow's going to come in here or hawkeye's going to come in you know and a lot of them were because of the avengers which was a really cool thing it was like we're going to bring everybody together in here but now it just feels like everything is so segmented you know that you're only allowed to see Doctor Strange in a Doctor Strange movie, right? You know, you're not allowed to to have any, you know, I don't know. Well, but he was in the the last Spider-Man film, like significantly. No, right. But just to add on back to the story not making sense, he remembered that there was a thing with Spider-Man. Like, I thought the whole point of the conclusion of Spider-Man No Way Home was that they wiped all memory of Spider-Man away. And so apparently they didn't do a very good job it's well memory of who he was right is that what it is maybe so they didn't forget happened? that spider-man yeah. exists yeah they forgot maybe that who he was who he was yeah dicey yeah, exactly they're being dicey um, <laughs> but i i get that i get his he has to be there because it's it's the multiverse thing and he's the only one that can that can do that i i get that and he had a a, a role in there but it it just feel it just feels very segmented like like I would like to have, I can't see an, I can't see an, I guess my problem is that I can't see another film where we're going to have, you know, any of these big name, mm. you know, like, like superheroes involved again. It's like Dr. Strange is really the biggest, you know, that we've got. It feels like besides Spider-Man, but, but Dr. Strange is bigger because he has more power, I guess. So, but in the first, you know, in the first versions or the first, uh, you know, phases. I mean, Iron Man was gigantic and Captain America was gigantic. They're not making those anymore. Right. So they've just diluted their property so much that yeah, they probably would have been better off taking like a three year hiatus, but I'm sure Disney would not have been a fan of three years of no profits rolling in. Yeah. Right. I don't know, but we, we'll see, we needed we'll see some in time. a few years, I guess. Yeah. Right. But I was committed after, in game to not care anymore and i still don't like yeah. i don't care that this was a bad movie it doesn't break my heart at all it, it frustrates me because i sat in front of it for two hours but um, <laughs> great point it doesn't great upset point. me on the greater marvel experience because yeah we're not invested in in the time mm -hmm. in like we knew where it was leading before yeah but now we're just like oh it's, it's another movie yeah another marvel movie the beauty of that first experience was i didn't anticipate that it could build up to something so amazing. Right. I was just enjoying all these individual movies and finding out that they all kind of collide was just this like, oh my God, there's something at the center of this Tootsie Roll pop. Oh my God. <laughs> you know, I was just like, what? Man, I will tell you, one of my greatest experiences in a theater was the end of Infinity War. Yeah. yeah. Was I was like, because I had I was not a comic person, you know? And so I, like I could probably list five moments you know, and probably four of them I was sitting next to you. But like in this one, when I looked at you, when we looked at each other at the end of that film, I, I thought, I thought, I don't know what I thought, but I thought like, oh my God, that was the most incredible thing I'd ever seen. You know, the experience that yeah. I'd ever had in a theater, right? Well, and I, I want to say the first words out of your mouth were one of the things, first things you said was, 
they could end the entire series right now and it would be perfect <laughs> it, yes ex- oh i remember that yes yeah. that, exactly and they didn't of course whatever not. of course fine yeah, yeah, fine yeah. but <laughs> but yes it would that was my feeling and so now yeah i don't know i don't know it was just not a good movie no nah. anyway not happy so what are you going to recommend this week <laughs> uh so the other night when i asked you hey what movie should i watch because I wanted to watch something. You told me this thing, so I went on to Hulu and I was I was gonna watch it. And then this other, this, <laughs> you this watch other film something popped else. up. I watched something else. I watched something else. Thanks. And I was only gonna watch a little bit of it. And then I just I just kept watching. So I'm gonna I'm it has nothing to do with the movie we watched, but uh with this, but I'm gonna recommend Taken. And the the reason the reason I'm gonna recommend it is because I haven't watched this film since being a dad. Uh, hmm. And now that I'm a dad, not just a dad, but a dad to a little girl, hmm. watching that movie, like watching this dude have zero remorse and zero compassion for these individuals, it makes it just inspires you. You think you think, oh, I would do that. I would tear down heaven and earth. I would find a fucking way. I, you know, and obviously I would I would die instantly. Of course. Um you know, but in the worst possible way, but it was just a totally different experience watching it now and, and a fulfilling, like as an action movie, I would, I would go out on a limb and say it's the most fulfilling action movie I've ever seen now because, you know, I love all the born identities. I think those are like some of the most enjoyable, like fun yeah. films, you know, action films. But this is when I say fulfilling, I'm like, I, you know what I would do? Yep. That's exactly what I would do. What he just did right then is exactly what I would do to that guy, you know? And it's, so it just like makes you like, feel like you could conquer the world in that way. And you go along with him. You know, what my and there's f- plenty of problems that I have with that film. Yeah. Plenty oh, of sure. problems. You know what my favorite part of that movie though, is, is Maggie Grace when she runs through the airport to, to meet her dad. Yes. <laughs> Yeah, it feels so honest, the floppy art. Like, that feels so, like, childlike. It's perfect. I I love it. It's perfect. And I I remember you talking about that, I think, at one point. And so I was watching it. And every time she would run, I think it's a couple times. I think in, like, Taken 2 and 3, she runs a lot more. And so it's it's even better in those. There's only a couple of times where this happens. (laughs) I remember it. I saw it when I saw it before I started laughing at night. It was so great. <laughs> anyway, yeah, so I'm going to recommend Taken. Nice. I couldn't make up my mind. I have three, so I'm going to let you pick one, two, or three. Three. Ooh, good choice. <laughs> okay. <laughs> it didn't matter what you said. Uh, oh, yeah, right. So I'm going to recommend, when I talk about Elizabeth Olsen being a great actor, like I think it helps to put a little meat on those bones, right? Go watch Ingrid Goes West. It's a simple film. It's a comedy. It's a great commentary about social media. Um, It's her and Aubrey Plaza. And her performance is so good. It's hilarious and subversive. Like, it's it's a really great experience. Um, And the other two, if you're curious, it was going to be either Martha Marcy Mae Marlene, which is also her, or if you want to go way back and have some really good Benedict Wong and... uh, she would tell Edge of Four, uh, Dirty Pretty Things is uh, another great little indie film uh, from way mm-hmm. back in the day. Uh, and it's crazy. That's like 20 years ago. And that dude has not aged 
F you, man. Like, what the hell? <laughs> Paul Rudd and you are going to start your own little cult in Keanu, and you're yeah. just going to be cool vampires for once. Um, but Ingrid Goes West. Go check that out. I think it's a really smart, hilarious film uh, with some really good commentary. Um, yeah. And stay tuned for uh, next week. We're going to go down another little uh, trip, and we're going to start by uh, checking out Top Gun. And so the original, the original, the very first, whatever, 1988 mm -hmm. or so. Yeah. Go check that out. Tom Cruise, Iceman, you're a danger maverick or whatever. So, um, <laughs> I am danger. <laughs> uh, yeah. And we also have a short spotlight. We have an artist spotlight from Joe Howes. Uh, he just oh, yeah. sent me this bad ass uh, little thing he made. And so there's a visual effects process kind of breakdown, almost overview of how, uh, I would call it a breakdown. Like it's him. He created this little five to 10 second short film testing some of his visual effects prowess of these little tiny orcs invading a moat of one of his uh, sets. And so it's like the cell phone footage of him kind of looking around his office. And then he sees all these orcs uh, invading one of his uh, miniature castles. Um, and it's adorable. Like it's really cool, but I love the, the, the breakdown of, watching how he went through making this. And so if you watch something like Dr. Strange and you're like, man, those visual effects are terrible. It should have been so easy. Wes watching something like this breakdown will, will reveal how much work and thought and process goes into actually making visual effects a reality. And so highly recommend going and checking that out. Um, it's smart. It's awesome. And yeah, so don't forget, uh, if you're enjoying the show, drop us a review, subscribe on iTunes or wherever you get your podcast and leave us a note. If there's something you want us to cover, um, we got more things to cover in the, the coming months. We're a little behind because there's so much new stuff coming out that we want to cover. Uh, and it's just, it's a really nice reprieve to finally have be able to go to the movies and there's like new stuff coming out every weekend. And so we're probably going to indulge in that a little bit longer. Alex Garland has a new film coming out. I'm probably going to want to look at. Oh yeah. Uh, yeah. And so I'm excited to do that. Uh, but yeah, if that said, if you want to uh, send a request or comment on anything, uh, feel free to do that. And if you want to comment on this episode in particular, you can do that at the pestlepodcast.com slash Dr. Strange multiverse. And today, we're going to leave you with a quote of the day from David Mamet. Anyone can write five people trapped in a snowstorm. The question is how you get them into the snowstorm. It's hard to write a good play because it's hard to structure a plot. If you can think of it off the top of your head, so can the audience. To think of a plot that is, as Aristotle says, surprising and yet inevitable is a lot, lot, lot of work. They obviously did not read this quote before making this movie. It's, oh man, it's, 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 it's tough. Like, I just love, you know, I, I, I really appreciate David Mamet. Um, and I think it's like Mamet, but um, yeah, I don't I'm know. a country hick. And so it's Mamet. And so I love hearing him talk about writing in the process. I disagree with certain things um, in terms of like performance. He has a, a lot of strong views on performance, uh, which makes sense. And I, I, I think those are good things to, to read and note, but hearing him discuss uh, the hard thing to put your finger on in a movie, right? You can think up a really good situation, like five people in a snowstorm, man. Well, that's not the trick. The trick isn't the situation. 
The, stri- the, the trick is coming up with a plot that confuses your audience when it comes to uh, where it's going, right? To make your audience think they're ahead of you when they're not, that's the trick because that's how you take them by surprise and deliver a result that is surprising and yet evitable, as he quotes Aristotle as saying. Like that's that's where the that's where you make your money as a writer and as a as a creator as a you know an artist is creating something that's surprising yet inevitable um, because it feels right. You don't feel left out and confused by the result. Instead, you're surprised that you got there yet happy that you did. Yeah. Wow. Great point. Mm. I don't know. I I got nothing to add to that. Mm. I I I love it. I think it's a great quote. Nice. Awesome. And I think that more more uh more Marvel films should actually, you know, take a look at this, yeah. honestly, moving forward. Yeah. So I you we th- we're afraid for Marvel, but we don't think that they're they're not dead, yeah, obviously. No. There's you know, they're still putting out material and uh and have the bandwidth to make good films. I just think that they need to um My hope really ask them Yeah. yeah. My hope is that if they do find their their demise right when fewer and fewer people go to their movies and they're less and less of a cash cow that we get tired of superhero films that last and we see a resurgence in new ip and new ideas christopher nolan aronofsky kind of stuff where it's just like we have a hunger and a thirst for things we haven't seen before um, and that creates new avenues for new voices yeah I love that. I definitely have that already. Yeah, I'm I'm pretty sick of the reboots and the, the rehashes and the the new with the same old people. Like, I want new. And unfortunately, we don't have Stan Lee anymore, who has given us so much. Uh, to be honest, but we need a new Stan Lee. We need a someone else with a with a creative voice. And and man, I loved that man. A lot of this, like his talks that he would do like how he came up with spider-man was so cool like the the whole the whole story behind that and how his publisher thought that it was a terrible idea and then whatever like so great like you know having people that have all these creative and great ideas in positions where they can they can take a chance right yeah and it's so hard nowadays to be in that to have those positions which is back you know just full swing back to your conversation about netflix about there is a great avenue here you know hopefully that they can they can use it for good yeah. you know yeah. <laughs> we'll, see. We'll, see. we'll see anyways it's been fun man Same. thank you for for all the time and thank you guys for listening we know this was a long one but hopefully you got a lot out of it make sure to join us next week we'll be covering top gun until then i'm todd i'm wes go watch the movies